length of service alone will never form a military man. For after serving many years, an undisciplined soldier is still a novice in his profession. This is the Yoakum Starring Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This quote leads us on our guest today, Grant Fowler. Grant is the owner of Fowler Fitness, where he works with athletes online and in person with the goal of a holistic, high-performance approach to training. I first heard of Grant's on my good friend Jake Tura's podcast and loved his approach to training in life. In this podcast, we talked about stating your worth and how we go about building that, creating a culture in the private sector realm, and the holistic approach to training and high performance and how Grant goes about creating that. This was an awesome podcast with another young coach that I really had a lot in common with. And I think we did a really nice job of covering some of the, the out there stuff, some of the thought process and philosophy behind why he does what he does. And then also getting into the nitty gritty and stuff that you guys can take away. And that's kind of the goal of the podcast, trying to have that 10 year value as well as the next 10 minute value. So hopefully you guys get something out of this and thank you guys for listening. Grant, it's awesome to have you on the podcast today. I'm excited for you to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your your background and how you got into the world of sports performance and the whole Fowler Fitness thing? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I got into sports performance, I mean, it was probably, I would say, almost 10 years ago. So I'm 23 now, about to be 24. And, you know, when I was 13 or 14, um, I basically kind of just started working out out of my bedroom and that kind of just led me down. I guess you'd say a path of just kind of just researching some things on my own. And that's kind of, you know, how I fell in love with it initially. I remember, um, you know, I would get on my computer and I would just Google, you know, answers to certain things that I had questions about. Uh, I remember, I think the first, you know, the first website that I ever really kind of, I guess, was led to was like T-Nation, you know, and they have, at the time, they had a lot of coaches that, you know, specialized in a lot of different things. So they had guys like Charles Poliquin on there. They had Christian Thibodeau. And so you had this, this place that you could go to that was kind of like a collection of just a lot of these ideas that we talk about in strength and conditioning now. Um, I mean, it's a, a little different now. I'm not sure how they run the site currently, but, you know, that's the way it was back then. And so, you know, I kind of just started to do a lot of research on my own. Um, you know, once I got into college... I was, I basically studied business marketing for about a year or two. Um, and I, I knew ultimately that I wanted to go down the strength and conditioning path. I just wasn't really sure, you know, how I was going to go about doing that. And so about, I would say two years into school, you know, I kind of just decided that the whole business marketing thing wasn't really the direction that I wanted to head in. Um, I knew I wanted to open up a business, uh, and, and I knew that I wanted to do something in strength and conditioning. And so I, I basically just sort of dropped out. Uh, I think it was my second year. Uh, I started up an Instagram page, which I think, I think I had started that initially, maybe my first year of college. So I kind of already had some momentum uh, going with that, just in terms of kind of sharing some of the things that I knew and some of the things that I was doing in my own training at the time. Uh, so that kind of started to gain some traction. And, and once I noticed, you know, that, that people were interested in what I was saying and people were, um, you know, it was something that I could monetize, basically, that's kind of what, I guess, led me to that decision in terms of, you know, this is really what I want to do. Um, so I, I, you know, I basically dropped out, I started with maybe two clients initially for, you know, a couple months, I was, I was training out of a gym. I'm sure you've probably heard of like the Metroflex, you know, that's where like Ronnie Coleman and a lot of those guys trained. Uh, they actually have a Metroflex down here in Conroe, you know, by the woodlands. And so I, I started training out of there. It was basically like a hole in the wall, um, you know, crusty barbells and stuff like that. You know, I had a couple clients that I was getting great results with and that sort of you know, just snowballed, you know, the friends started to join, um, you know, we were getting a lot of great results with, with a lot of the track athletes, uh, that we trained. That's a great sport because it's, it's either, you know, you improve or you don't. And it's very obvious to see kind of, you know, where people are lacking and, and if what you're doing is really working or not. Um, and because we had such amazing improvements with a lot of these kids, 
Um, you know, it really just started to snowball really fast just in terms of, you know, picking up more clients. Um, and, and now it's kind of shifted. I mean, it's, it's still a lot of, I still do a lot of in-person stuff, but it's really grown, you know, into a full blown online business now as well, where we have a lot of, you know, online clients that are, that are seeking, um, just the same services that we give, you know, a lot of the people that work with us in person. Um, and so now it's just kind of turned into this, this, uh, you know, dualistic kind of in-person and online, uh, business. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's pretty cool that you mentioned that because our, our setup's very similar. It started off all in person doing that. And then the more we started to grow that people started asking for more online stuff. So we're very similar in that regard. I'm interested yeah. in diving into the, the whole dropping out process for you and making that decision. Uh, maybe it was just waking up one day to be like, Hey, this is like, this isn't what I want. I'm going to go pursue this dream. And then what, how, like what making that decision was like for you and then how you got those clients initially, like, what was that first step like for you? Like the, Oh shit moment of crap. Now I got to figure this out. You know, honestly, man, it was a really easy decision for me. It was actually, it's actually kind of a stress-free decision to be completely honest with you. And I think part of that was because I did initially have a lot of support from my parents as well. You know, my parents were big on like, if this is what you want to do, like we're totally fine with it. And I think they knew ultimately that, you know, whatever I decided to do, I was, I was going to go 100% in on it. Um, and I knew that myself. I didn't, I honestly really never had any doubts, um, that it wouldn't work out. Uh, I kind of, I kind of knew that if I was able to, you know, share what I knew in a way that was applicable to, you know, the, the people that I wanted to speak to, I, I knew it was going to take off. I didn't really have, you know, too many doubts about that in particular. Um, I think the hardest part for me was not necessarily gaining those initial clients. I think it's easy to gain clients if you're, you know, marketing yourself effectively towards that audience. I don't think that's too difficult. What what is difficult is sometimes not being able to work with the clients that you want and kind of getting stuck in this situation where now you have a group of people that maybe you attracted initially for reasons that uh, you no longer, I guess, are promoting kind of, if that makes sense. So, you know, when I first, you know, got into this, it was, you know, I wanted to train and help a lot of high school kids. And so I really focused on some of the more superficial components of the training itself. So kind of, you know, more of the exercises and, and the showy flashy components of it. And not necessarily that any of that was wrong. Um, it was just a little bit more, you know, it was more immature, obviously, like I was just kind of starting out and that was kind of the beginning stages of it. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, a conscious thing. It was just more of, you know, I, I had no idea, uh, really what I was doing. I was just basically kind of sharing everything uh, that I was, that I was doing at the time. And so now it's kind of changed a little bit to where I'm, I'm more selective in, you know, the information that I put out because I really want to attract a certain, you know, client base, you know, initially when you just start out, you need all the clients that you can get because that's, you know, I mean, you, you have to eat, you have to survive basically. And so you're just basically going to take anybody you can. Once things started to take off with the online business and I could kind of, you know, support myself with that more, I really focused on kind of changing the information that I put out and making it a little bit more appealing to people that are going to be a little bit more serious and dedicated, you know, to the process. You know, I think if you're going to, if you're an athlete and you're going to sit there and even take the time to read, you know, a four paragraph post, you're probably going to be pretty dedicated and you're probably going to be pretty invested into the process to begin with. Um, as opposed to a kid that's just flipping through and trying to find the next best thing, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, with what we do now, it's very selective in that we don't just accept anybody. Um, and that's kind of because I'm in a position now where I can do that. I can support myself with the online business. And so now I can focus on really kind of doubling down on the clients and, and, and the type of people that I really enjoy working with. Um, and that's just going to be people that are just super into the process. I mean, obviously they're not going to understand everything and I don't expect them to. Um, but I love people that ask questions. I love people that are just, you know, super involved in what we do. Um, so right now, you know, it's kind of like a, a close knit family. Um, and it's, and it's kind of slowly and gradually expanding as we get more people that are kind of starting to, I think just as a society in general, we're starting to, 
uh, become just a little bit more cued into kind of some of the some of the subtext, you know, and just some of the more underlying reasons behind why we're doing what we do, as opposed to just focusing on kind of some of the superficial components. Um, so that's that's just kind of you know where I'm at now in terms of you know business, um, just just kind of with the online and the in person you know, uh, setup that we kind of have going. No, I love that. Uh, the point, because we have a lot of college, college coaches that listen to this podcast and it's very similar to your, your, your private sector gym. Like you, you have, it's just like recruiting for your college team. Like you're not just going to bring everybody into that, that private sector gym and then expect for your team or your family or your gym to be an elite level gym or it's the to exact have that bonding. Thing. Yeah. And I, sure. I think that's awesome because that's something that when I was starting this private sector Jim, like when I talk to people that have already done it or just listen to people like Joe DeFranco, like that, that was something that he always mentioned as well. He's like making sure you're not just bringing in everybody and just hoping it works out. Like you want to be known for something. And if people don't believe in what you believe in, like you said, like that kid that's just flashing through and wants to see that flashy stuff. If you're putting that out on your Instagram and you're attracting that kid and it's not, it's not going to fit your culture. Like at the end of the day, that, that client isn't going to work out anyways. Exactly. And I think, you know, something else that's kind of important to, to mention there is that, you know, it, it's not a discriminatory thing and that, you know, you're a bad person if, if you can't hack it, if you, if you're, or if you're not interested in training that way. I mean, we've, there's plenty of kids that they're not into training. They just want to be good at their sport. Um, but there's, there's obviously a certain level of dedication and an interest that you have to have in not only your sport, but the things that are going to help you become better at your sport as well. And so, once, once you're kind of in that position where now you can support yourself and you can kind of be a little bit more uh, picky and, and choosy, I guess you could say, with the people that you let in, you know, you can offer things that are more geared towards other people, you know? So like when you get young kids or you have um, youth athletes, like they're not, they don't give a shit about training whatsoever, you know? But that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't need someone to help them, you know? And so you can kind of split your, your business model up into different, um, I guess you could say categories where maybe you're training primarily, um, the clients that you want to work with. And now maybe you're in a position where you can afford to hire a coach that's really good with working with younger athletes. And I think a lot of coaches don't focus on, on their strengths. And I think one of my strengths is working with, you know, athletes that are just really passionate about the entire process in general, you know, I'm, uh, if I'm being completely honest, like I'm terrible with working with kids, you know, like the first year and a half that I started doing this, I had, you know, a couple senior clients and I had a few youth athletes as well. And I, I'm not going to lie. Like I hated every single second of it, you know, because I'm not, I'm not that cheerleader. I'm not that guy that's, that's going to pump you up. You know, I kind of expect you to already come in and, and sort of have all that figured out, you know? And so for me, like that wasn't, that wasn't my role so much as it was to kind of focus on, uh, you know, the people that were, you know, just a little bit more cued in already, I guess you could say. Um, and so that's kind of, I think something that's important for coaches to really consider is what, you know, what type of client do you want? And then how are you going to go about, you know, attracting that client? Yeah, exactly. And just trying, trying to fit. And that's something that I talk about all the time too, with a lot of my online clients is if I'm attracting the right client at the end of the day, I'm going to get better results and look like a better coach just because that client fits the culture better. That client believes in what, like you can write the same thing on a sheet of paper for two different people. And one person believes in it. And one person fits the culture of what you're trying to put out. And then one person doesn't. And it's the same exact exercise, same exact situation. And one person's going to see results and one won't. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then this is something I want to, I really want to dive into with you is talking about the, the learning aspect. And you said you started reading some of this stuff when you were like 13 years old and going through the process. What did, did you learn through internships? Um, what was kind of your process of learning one, the information behind everything without the official schooling and then two, kind of the art of coaching behind it. How do you, how do you communicate these awesome philosophies and things in the sports performance world to the client that you're working with? Yeah. So in terms of, in terms of education itself, I think, you know, you kind of have to look at things from, you know, both a macro and a micro sense. So macro would mean kind of being able to to connect dots and to see, um, you know, relevancies between, you know, different fields or different, you know, sets of information. Um, and then, you know, 
on the micro scale, you kind of have the things that are specific to your industry and your field. So one of the biggest problems that I see with people like me that kind of never had, I guess you could say a traditional education in, you know, sports science or kinesiology or, you know, whatever, whatever you majored in, you know, I think sometimes there's kind of holes in your education there where maybe you kind of understand everything from, from like a broad perspective, but you're not, you're kind of lacking in some of the more practical, uh, you know, components of, of your job. So like, I guess you could say, you know, like if you understand training and you understand, you know, theories and and all of that really well, but you don't understand what your bicep is and what it does, you know, that, that might be an issue in terms of being able to apply the theories and the principles practically. And then on the flip side of that, you have a lot of people that maybe they went the traditional education route um, where, you know, they, they focus a lot on specifics, you know, they can tell you every single bone and joint, uh, and fascial link and connection in your body, but they can't tell you how to put all these pieces together and connect all these dots from, you know, all of the different fields that we know obviously tie into, you know, strength and performance and just, you know, human health and biology in general. Um, so I think, you know, which, whichever end you start on, you, you need to be, um, aware of where your limitations are. I mean, not even necessarily your limitations, but just the inherent limitations, uh, imposed on you through whichever education, uh, or curriculum, you know, that you kind of went through. Um, and then, then obviously you kind of have to analyze your own shortcomings. Um, and, and it's tough because a lot of this stuff isn't, things that you're, you're just going to know on your own. You kind of have to, uh, really take a look at yourself, really be honest with yourself in terms of, you know, kind of where you're lacking. I think a lot of people, the mistake that a lot of people make is, um, you know, maybe they, they didn't have a traditional education and they kind of downplay a lot of their weaknesses or they kind of have these holes in their education that maybe they kind of brush over or they, make it seem less important than it actually is. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And almost like the, and this is one, how I kind of break it down is the, the education gives you a little bit of a foundation and just presents you a ton of opportunities to do, especially if you're, you're trying to get into the college world. But one thing it really does is almost, it keeps you in a box. And if you don't realize you're in your box of thinking and that group think it kind of screws you long-term. For sure. It's, it's, yeah, you have to learn and master what's in the box first you know, before you can think outside of it. And what I'm, I'm interested in your, your personal journey of this, of learning these things. Was it working with a mentor that taught you these things or was it just, um, applying these things to your training and using yourself as a guinea pig? What was kind of your process to learn these things and be confident in what you know? Um, it was, it was a little bit of both. Um, I did have some mentors here and there, you know, and, and again, a lot of them weren't, you know, even actual mentors that I spoke with, but, but people's work that I just, you know, read and, uh, really kind of delved into. Um, but there were a few people here and there that I, that I had conversations with. Um, I think, you know, even, even just reading kind of just a lot of broad philosophy, like I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, you know, like the book anti-fragile, you know, kind of seeing stuff like that going around. Some, some of some of that type of information is really good at giving you kind of a foundation of um, just kind of being able to just even be cognizant of the fact that there are limitations on your education in the first place. You know, I think sometimes people don't even they don't even know that to begin with. And the first step is to to obviously address that that's even that's even a possibility to begin with. Um, and, and then from there, I mean, for me, it was a a super nonlinear process. Like there, I can't really pinpoint one specific thing. Um, it was just kind of more of this, just overall epiphany and just sort of like realization after kind of everything that I had read. I mean, I'm, I'm still in that process now, you know, as I read things and as I, uh, collect just bits of information here and there, it's not really, it was never really one thing or one person. It's just kind of been this accumulation of, of sort of all of these things that I've almost been kind of uh, lucky to have come across. I, I honestly, I think the majority of these things I just kind of stumbled upon by complete accident. 
You know, I'm just, I'm a naturally curious person uh, by nature. So I tend to just read anything and everything under the sun. You know, I'm, I'm a generalist um, at the end of the day. And so I just, I love to basically collect and, and, and read lots of different information. And then from there, um, it was just kind of this process of just connecting all these different thoughts, um, and just kind of coming to, you know, just that overall realization that, man, like I, I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did. And then taking the initiative and being honest with myself enough to plug those holes. Yeah. And I think, like you mentioned, the, the first step is the awareness. And that was, that was the biggest thing coming out of college for myself was you, you almost like you get this piece of paper and then suddenly you think like, you know, way more than you do. And then you start reading books like anti-fragile and you start listening to coaches that are at the highest of levels talk about how they really know nothing. And you're like, well, me coming out of college with my piece of paper, like probably, I probably know nothing as well. If they don't, if these masters of their sport know nothing and keeping that and what that does is keep that curiosity open, like you mentioned. And something I'm interested in, and I love listening to the coaches like you talk about this is what's kind of your process of applying stuff you read and things outside of the field of sports performance and taking these nuggets, taking these pieces and then applying them back to the field of sports performance. What's kind of your overall, like, how do you, how do you go about that? You know, there's not really too much of a set in stone process, but I would say that the most important thing to consider is that you need to be careful when you, when you do that, because a lot of people will take, you know, they're kind of big fans of this kind of some of the ideas that we're talking about right now. Um, and I actually sort of made a post about this today when I was talking about the, uh, the light therapy. I'm not sure if you saw that, but you know, a lot of people will sort of take some of these lofty ideas from, you know, certain things like quantum physics and, uh, you know, just other fields. And then they kind of haphazardly apply some of the terms, um, without really fully understanding what they're talking about. And so I think, you know, in a way you have to first be aware of, the fact that there are connections there that do exist, but you can't be, you know, hasty in readily applying them and then making them sound as if, you know, it's, it's a fact, you know, you, you have to kind of let people know up front, like, you know, this isn't necessarily proven or set in stone, but there, there clearly is a connection here. And I'm going to try to find the connection. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to play with things and I'm going to see if I can find maybe other connections or, you know, maybe I conduct some research, um, you know, that, that shows some, some relevancy here somehow. Um, and so I think, you know, the process has to be very careful. You know, you can definitely acknowledge that there are um, connections and, and all these interdependencies. Um, but then it's up to you to obviously test that rigorously through um, science and, you know, even with scientific studies themselves, obviously those are going to be flawed and, and always to some extent limited. Um, but there are nuggets and bits and pieces of, uh, wisdom and information that you can draw from that and kind of connect to other studies and, and things like that, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um, like just for example, like there was a really good one on, I think kind of the big thing in like diet and nutrition now is talking about, polyunsaturated fatty acids and how those can be kind of harmful to your health. Um, and so one of the things that we know about PUFAs is they basically oxidize really fast when they hit your bloodstream, right? So that's kind of, uh, you know, when that happens, that's going to increase uh, oxidative stress and cellular damage and things like that. And they did a study on high dose fish oil uh, and how it in, in like a certain I think, I think it may, might've been rats. Um, they developed, I think, prostate cancer or prostate enlargement or something like that, but they didn't really understand, you know, exactly why it was happening. They couldn't give a specific, uh, mode of action for why that was happening. Um, but, but then if you kind of look on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's all these studies talking about PUFAs and, you know, some of the potential, uh, negative effects that they can have in terms of just, you know, simply being prone to oxidation. And so now you can kind of connect two of those things and be like, okay, well, you know, PUFAs, uh, oxidize really fast. Uh, oxidation causes cellular stress and damage, cellular stress and damage potentially can lead to cancer. Um, and so now you have a connection between those two things. Does that kind of make sense? So even though you might not have known necessarily why that happened, you can kind of, uh, 
look over here to the left and maybe find some information that could give you some hints. I think that's just kind of a simple example uh, that you could use. I mean, there's a million, but you know, you have to ultimately kind of extrapolate relevant information and then connect all these dots yourself. Yeah. And that's the keeping the, the mindset of being able to be creative and challenge things, but keeping the, just to where you're not just throwing shit at the wall to where you, you have your, like you said, your scientific background, your, your, your foundation of what you actually know to be able to make those connections. And you're not just throwing random things. I think it's Judd Logan that said like 90% of what I do is set in stone. And I spend 90% of my time trying to find that other 10% and not just like, like not trying to be foo fooey, like not just trying to grab a, a random theory or something like that and applying it to the, to the sport and hoping it works with your athletes. Exactly. Because there's a lot of people that will hear, you know, maybe the earlier part of the conversation that we had and, and kind of, that's what they do. You know, they'll find something that sounds kind of nice and like, okay, well maybe, or not even maybe they'll just flat, flat out say, this is why it, this is why it works or this is why it's happening. Um, so even if there's a casual, uh, link or a correlation there, it, it obviously isn't indicative of, you know, that necessarily being the reason why. And this is, this is something where I, I kind of want to then tie it in together a little bit is how, how we bring all the, how you, your, your philosophies and these general overall thought processes about how you go about thinking into your holistic high performance approach with your athletes. What do you kind of think is important? How do you approach it? And how do you go about working with your athletes? Well, so, I mean, just right off the bat, I mean, you know, one of the main things is that we don't, uh, we never, I don't want to say discredit anything because I mean, there are, there are obviously things that don't work. Um, but I think you can always, it's very easy to determine if something absolutely does not work, but you can never necessarily, uh, determine if something is completely 100% right. You know, there's always varying degrees of right. And it's usually going to be you know, context dependent. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to, you know, uh, training and just implementation, uh, there's really nothing that we don't, that we ignore that we don't do. I think anytime you ignore, uh, something like, you know, I think kind of the big thing right now is you have a lot of people that are kind of trying to be the guru in a, in a particular realm. Um, so maybe, you know, everybody's kind of hopping on the isometric bandwagon or, um, people are even starting to hop on, you know, the anti heavy lifting bandwagon again. And I think, you know, at some point you, you have to realize that, you know, all of these things are obvious pieces to the puzzle. And I think, you know, there's nothing that you can ignore. Um, and you have to look at everything and determine sort of the immediate objective that you can use it to accomplish. So I think a lot of people sometimes look a little too, too long-term. Uh, they, they try to, you know, almost, I guess you like, let's say we're talking like sports specificity. There's a lot of examples where maybe something like max strength may not be super specific to, I guess you could say, um, sprinting, but there's a lot of other contexts in, in which it may be applicable. So like, if we're talking about football and you're getting hit constantly, you know, you're taking these heavy hits, you know, obviously that's going to require a significantly higher level of maximal strength than if you're playing, you know, a sport like say tennis. And so I think a lot of people kind of just throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, in terms of focusing on kind of their favorite training methods and then sort of trying to sell that to people. I think a lot of people right now, like, again, going back to the isometrics thing right now, like isometrics are great. Isometrics are awesome. Um, I think there's just a lot of people that want to be the guru in isometrics. They want to say that isometrics are kind of, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the solution to everything. And so I mean, just kind of going back to your initial question, we don't really, I guess, I guess you could say marry ourselves to any one particular philosophy or way of doing things. And so when it comes to how we choose exercises and how we choose, uh, training methods, it's, it's more about, first kind of looking at things on, on a micro scale. So how are we going, what are we going to choose or what are we going to do today? That's going to help us accomplish a very specific goal today. That's it. Um, and then kind of more, you know, in, in the broad sense is, okay, what are we going to do now to 
you know, make sure that you're being highly successful in the specific things that you need to be successful in for your sport. Um, so there's kind of two sides of the coin. Um, and, and when it comes to training methods, I think a lot of people are kind of focusing too much on the specificity end. you know, it's funny because you'll have a lot of people that will bag on, um, sports specific training. But then when you really look at what they're actually doing, it's over specificity. So I'll kind of give you a quick example. I was talking to somebody recently who was talking about, um, it's kind of saying that basically the only thing that athletes really need to do is, you know, like extremely high stress exercises, um, because those are going to be the, the things that are really going to, um, spark adaptation, I guess you could say. So like, you know, on one end you're doing like max effort and on the other, maybe you're doing over speed, um, or like super high velocity exercises. And you're kind of like ignoring that middle ground. Um, and you know, in theory, it, it sounds nice because you're, you, you, you are in a way honing in on, on the things that you technically on a, a on a large scale need to be successful for in your sport, which for most people, that's going to be, you know, high stress, high speed, uh, high power movements. But on the micro level, you're kind of ignoring these inter interdependencies that tie into, you know, all of those things. So the micro scale might be how well does your shoulder or your hip move, you know, uh, how well does your big toe move? You know, like if you're not doing anything to focus on some of these smaller immediate objectives, like joint positioning, joint function, tissue health, um, and, and you're really just kind of focusing on some of the, the more visible or, uh, you know, kind of in your face things that you need as an athlete, which would be like sprinting and jumping and things like that you're, you're going to have a hole in your program, obviously. And so we don't really, we don't really ignore anything and we don't really, um, classify anything as useless. There's just, you, you, you need to look at where it fits into the program and it's either going to fit into the program on a micro scale, or it's going to fit into the program on kind of a broad, uh, macro scale, if that sort of makes sense, you know, and like with bodybuilding exercises right now, that's kind of, you know, there's, there's one side of, of the camp that's like, Hey, you should never do bodybuilding exercises. You should always do whatever compound lifts or whatever, you know, the classic argument. Um, but then when you really look at that, what, what technically is a bodybuilding exercise, you know, it's an isolated single joint movement, which is pretty much the same thing as, you know, like when we're doing FRC or we're doing, you know, these extremely super targeted exercises to improve specific areas of the body. I mean, that's basically bodybuilding, you know, it's, it's really the same concept at the end of the day. So, you know, when it comes to the how and the why of applying a lot of the things that you see us doing, uh, it's going to come down to either where does this fit in on a micro scale or where does this fit in, uh, kind of on a macro scale, if that makes sense. No, that, that, that's kick-ass. I, I love that point. You, you talked about, we don't marry ourselves to any exercise and like, yeah, it, it's, it's, I talked about, I bring it back to like tools in your toolbox and, and I love challenging things just to piss off a lot of coaches and just see their rebuttal. Of, I like <laughs> sure. challenging, like even the max strength thing, like is max strength as important, like is Olympic limit, just challenging things, but not challenging like the actual tool, like talking about exactly. max strength is, yes. is important. Challenging that, the application. Exactly. The, the emphasis yeah. on what, like, are we spending 100% of our time on max strength? Max strength isn't the bad thing. Max strength is needed for our sport is spending, is spending 100% of our time on something like that. That's probably the bad thing. For sure. Yeah. And I know that was probably, that was probably a huge rant there, but I mean, that was, you know, that ultimately kind of sums it up is that it's not necessarily, you know, based on the exercises or even the methods themselves, but it's just kind of, really trying to figure out how all of these different things are going to fit into this one program effectively, the most effectively, you know, and the most effective is going to change based on who you're working with as well, you know, and even the amount of time that you have in the gym. Um, and so that's kind of, I think something that a lot of people really don't understand is that when, when they see what we do on Instagram or they see maybe me make a post about why I don't particularly like something. It's not necessarily because it's inherently bad. Um, but just simply because, you know, the people that I work with 
or the situations surrounding the people that I work with and, and the current limitations that we have um, kind of puts a constraint on what we can reasonably do. Um, I mean, if you had hours to train on end, you could basically make a case for just about anything, even, even footwork and speed ladders. Like let's say that gave you a 0.5% advantage somewhere, you know, um, let's say fatigue and overtraining never came into the equation and you had an unlimited amount of time to do whatever you wanted, you could maybe find a place for that. You know, it would be a very small place compared to probably a lot of the other things that you could do, but you have unlimited time. So why would it matter? Yeah. And that's when people talk about, um, stuff, stuff like the footwork or the, the agility ladders or anything in that regard, they, 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 a lot of times they defend it with the point of, well, it's not taking away. Like there are some benefits to that. And that's, that's the point I argue a lot is, well, that athlete is doing that footwork ladder. Somebody at with, with you working with you is doing something else that is making them better, faster, giving them more results. So while that athlete isn't being deterred by those uh, agility ladders, some other athlete is passing them up and all athletes are competing for the same thing. Maybe it's the same roster spot. Maybe it's the same college scholarship. So yes, it, that, that agility ladder is hurting that athlete. Exactly. Cause you, you almost have to look at it from an energy expenditure standpoint too. If you're going and doing 30 minutes of that and you're burning 500 extra calories that could be used to recover from the stuff that you actually did that was more important, then that's obviously an issue as well. You know, just even at a, at a cellular fundamental level, not even necessarily a time management perspective. And this, this is where I want to, I want to branch off a little bit to the, uh, you, you're, I have a quote of you, like the, the CNS craves variation. And I, I love how you go about using this in the, in the weight room. So I, I work with, I, I've talked to Sean Mishka a lot about the, a lot of the small side of games and creating variation in your training on the field and implementing these things. But what a lot of coaches struggle with doing the same thing in the weight room and just implementing the variation in their training. Can you talk about why you're such a big fan of variation? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to variation, I mean, the more variation you can have in your training, um, the more variation that you can kind of expose your body to the more options you have, you know, plain and simple. And so even if you look at things that are very, um, how, how do I put this? I guess you could say like one, one dimensional. So like, let's say you're throwing a baseball, you know, that there's not a whole lot of variation in how you throw a baseball, but if you look at it again, going back to the micro level, there's a ton of variation on the micro level in how you throw that baseball every time, you know, maybe it's, you know, not even, you know, it's just barely off every time you throw it maybe to the right or to the left, or even let's say you walk a straight line and, uh, and you kind of have these just small variations in how your foot moves or how you hit the ground. Um, on a macro scale, it doesn't look like there's too much variation in there, but on a micro scale, it's, it's all over the place, you know? Um, and, and, that kind of applies to a lot of things in your body as well, not just necessarily sports and movement. Um, but so, you know, on this micro scale, you have to ensure that you kind of have this, uh, you want to have this large bandwidth so that basically anything that happens, any of those little micro adjustments or movements that take place in there, um, you know, nothing ever feels too off to you. Or let's say something does go wrong and maybe you trip or you kind of, end up in a position that you normally wouldn't end up, you know, in when you're practicing that, uh, or drilling that very specific movement, you, you have enough, uh, you've trained enough variability into your system to essentially kind of know how to handle and adapt to that. Um, and it's kind of, you know, when it comes to performance, like let's say you want to throw 90 miles an hour, if you have a cup and let's say the cup is like, it's a small cup, there's only so much water that you can, uh, put into that. And so let's say the water is kind of, um, the, the specific practice that you're doing, you know, like throwing obviously, or maybe even throwing like weighted implements. Uh, you, I mean, you could kind of maybe classify that as some variation within the throwing itself, but it's still a throwing motion. Um, and so let's say you want to throw faster. You ultimately have to expand that cup because it can only hold so much. It can only hold so much water from the specific practice of the skill, if that makes sense. There's only so much improvement that you can make from, you know, doing that one thing. And so by basically giving yourself more 
uh, movement options or strategies that you can use, even if they're very, very, very subtle, uh, even if they're very subtle, even just on a nervous system level, it, it might not even be necessarily a, uh, a movement strategy. It could even be a recruitment pattern strategy or, you know, just something very slight or very different. Uh, the more, the more of those options you have, the, the bigger that cup gets, basically the bigger that bandwidth gets. And then, you know, from a strength training perspective too, it's the same thing. Uh, if you're doing a squat and, you know, let's say you've practiced the back squat, you know, and that's all you do is you just back squat and back squat and back squat. Let's say maybe one day you kind of have an accident where maybe you slip or something and maybe your back kind of rounds. If you've never trained any variations of that lift or you've never been in positions where maybe you're doing, uh, like, let's say you do a safety bar back squat and maybe you kind of have a position with that where your back is a little more rounded. Um, if you've never done any of those variations or you've never, uh, practiced anything outside of that very, uh, linear, rigid back squat, you know, you could potentially have an injury. Um, and the same thing kind of goes for sport. The more options you have to move, uh, the more, you know, directions and, and just even very subtle, uh, differences that you can, that you have, or that you can make there with your own body, uh, the better off you're going to be period. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, from a learning perspective and, and even from just a purely physical, uh, biomechanical perspective, it's going to be an advantage in both. Yeah. And we, we talked a little bit about it before the podcast, but the, the dude that can squat 500 pounds, but can't do the cartwheel. But this, I, you mentioned a lot of the points that I talk about with all my athletes and why we emphasize these things is talking about one, giving you more answers to movement problems that you face either on the field right. or in life. Like everything that you do, you, you have a problem that you have to solve. And if you only have one way to solve that problem, many times that's not going to be the optimal way to solve that problem. And somebody that has more than one way to solve the problem, is going to solve it faster and better. And then when it comes onto the field, that person that solves it faster and better than you is going to be playing more than you. So that that's something I love that you mentioned. And then secondly, the, the law of diminishing return is like you getting that back squat, the, if, if you have a foundation of it being 500, getting it to 510, it like the, the amount of effort that takes compared to the reward that you get out of that is going to be so much lower than doing something that you suck at. For sure. For sure. And I think sometimes, you know, you also have to, uh, people think strength is strength, you know, like numbers are purely numbers and they're really not, you know, and this is kind of one of the limitations of just purely looking at numbers is that, you know, how you got that adaptation is just as important as the adaptation you got. So if you were to put, let's say 50 pounds on your back squat, doing just a back squat versus putting 50 pounds on your back squat from doing maybe four or five different variations, you know, at the same lift, um, that's going to be completely different because, you know, on, on one hand, you know, just doing the back squat, a lot of those adaptations were predicated on you simply becoming really good at executing that movement as opposed to you actually gaining strength or creating legitimate cellular changes. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I kind of mentioned before was, uh, kind of efficiency and movement and how in your sport, you want to become very efficient in the specific movements that you do uh, because you basically use less energy to complete them. It's kind of the opposite when you're in the gym. Uh, when you become extremely efficient at something, you're not going to recruit as many muscles, as, as, as many muscle fibers or uh, <coughs> muscle motor units. <coughs> My bad. Um, and so that kind, of, that kind of limits your training in terms of, you know, what you actually want to get out of it, um, which is, you know, those pure raw adaptations from the exercises that you're doing. So the more efficient you become at something, um, in, in some ways, the less you're going to get out of it. Um, I mean, obviously if you're a power lifter, you want to be really efficient at the bench press because your goal is just to move as much weight as possible, you know, and then there's kind of the flip side of that, where if you're not efficient enough, that can also limit you in some ways as well. So it's kind of this balance between having enough variety and then also having enough stability within the training itself. And so that can be mainly accomplished by kind of taking a lot of the primary lifts and a lot of the primary movements that you do, and then just kind of tweaking them slightly. So maybe you're doing a back squat and you use a wide stance 
on one day and then maybe you do, you know, a front squat the following week or something like that. It's, you know, a similar lift, but there's variation in how you're doing it. Yeah. I love, I love that how you broke it up. Cause, um, to me, it sounds like we want, we want to challenge the variation in the weight room. Um, but we want to become a PhD in whatever our skill set is and becoming sure. a PhD in the skill set of your sport, of your, of whatever the field is, maybe it's throwing a ball. Like you want to do the same thing repeatedly. So you get really, really good at that motion and it's not taxing you, but in the weight room, you, you want that growth and you want it to tax you. So you want to challenge and change up everything in the weight room. Yeah, no, exactly. 100%. And the, the other point that I love that you mentioned, and this is where it gets exposed is we'll have some of the strongest, like, are you, are you actually getting stronger or are you getting, becoming a better squatter? And we'll have, um, we do a lot of Andy Ryland's like grappling drills and bear crawl pushes and stuff like that. And you'll have a, like a farm farm dude that, uh, grew up on a farm is just globally strong in the squat. He's not as strong as the next person, but he'll dominate a guy that squats a hundred pounds more than him best example. Those kids are the best example of everything we just talked about. 100%. And if you look at them too, because they have that very broad foundation of physicality, when they do start back squatting and they do start bench pressing, they get strong exceptionally fast. Yeah. The, the, the rate, the rate of growth is it's nuts when you, when you get a kid like that. And that's almost comes back to the recruiting thing we talked about before is look, looking for kids like that rather than looking for the kid that has specialized his whole life, because that kid that specializes his whole life, well, he's better now is probably closer to his ceiling than that farm kid. Exactly. And even if you, if you, even if you do take a lot of those farm kids, a lot of them still are pretty strong on those lifts. You know, they just, their form is either terrible or they kind of just heave it up with pure muscle. Um, but if you, if you do look at them, it, it's kind of funny because you can see some of that transfer that a lot of that physical labor and, and training, uh, or I guess you could say just kind of uh, general fitness or physical, uh, development that they've done, done just through years of doing manual labor and, and playing sports and stuff like that. It does to an extent kind of transfer over because they do have a lot of that natural, just brute strength there. Yeah. And the, the last part I want to talk about before we get into a rapid fire rounds is kind of the, the business and private sector part of who you are. And you, you mentioned your business and what it's doing, but kind of emphasizing like creating a model to get paid your worth. And this is something that you struggle, we struggle with a lot in the sports performance and fishing realm of there's a lot of coaches out there that aren't getting paid their worth. And they'll say stuff like, I, I, I don't do it for money, but then they'll complain about not getting paid and stuff like that. So Talk about maybe the importance of setting up this model and why you think it's so important. I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people don't get paid their worth is because they simply don't, they don't state it to begin with. You know, like if you put out a product for 15 bucks that you know is worth a hundred, um, and you don't want to put it out for a hundred because you know that, um, some people are going to scoff at it or say, Oh, that's too much or whatever you're basically kind of running on a subconscious program by yourself already that you aren't basically worth that much. Um, and then on the flip side, you, you really do have to put out content that you feel is, is worth that much money. Um, and, and so for me, I mean, just with a lot of the stuff that I put out now and a lot of the things that I put, you know, into my programs, a lot of people are willing to pay that extra 10, 20, you know, I mean, even for the online coaching, maybe for a lot of people, I mean, it's an extra a hundred, you know, and there's a lot of people that do, I think 50 or $70 online coaching programs and packages and stuff like that. And mine's, mine's literally double that, but there's still plenty of people that are willing to pay for it because they know what they're going to get. Um, so I think one, to begin with you, you have to put out things and put out products that are actually worth what you're, what you're asking for. Um, and I think you need to be honest with yourself initially to say, you know, maybe right now I'm worth this. And so I'm going to, I'm going to put out products that are worth this. And then in the future, when I get better and when I start putting out, you know, things that are of higher value or, you know, just better content, then I can raise it up, you know? So like for me right now, I don't personally feel qualified to put out a $500 coaches, education, seminar, platform, whatever, you know, that like, there's plenty of people that do that. Um, there's a lot of people that I may even consider buying that from, but as of right now, I don't feel like I have 
a product that would be um, worth that, if that makes sense, you know? So you kind of just have to really take an honest look at yourself first, you know, in terms of, you know, what do you feel the content and the products that you put out are actually worth? Yeah, and that's where you'll see, and I love that you mentioned like knowing where you're at now because you'll see a lot of the best in the business, like they pivot their careers. You'll, you'll see a lot of them They'll start off where you and I are at with the, the online training and the in-person training. And then they graduate to that, that coach's role where the, now they're coaching coaches uh, and they reach that almost next tier. And then you'll see even some of the even better ones where they'll, they'll graduate to the coaching businesses then and they'll go business routes. But again, that, that awareness of knowing your worth in the moment is very powerful. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, I mean, you kind of have that gut sense or that gut feeling that you know you're kind of fooling yourself if you if you don't. I mean, it I think everybody knows right now that if I were to try to do, you know, a business mentorship program when I don't even have a fully fledged, fully, in my opinion, yet successful business, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. Um, and, and I think other people are going to intuitively pay you as well based on what they think you're worth, you know? Um, and so that again, just goes back to putting out content that actually is worth, you know, the, the price. And so, you know, I like for me, that's kind of the road that I'm heading down right now as well as I do eventually want to get into business mentorships and more continued coaches education, which I'm kind of starting to get into right now. Uh, but it is a very, gradual process. Um, you know, I mean, I started out with shoulder programs and, you know, little online programs that people could do here and there that kind of went to like the online coaching. And then, you know, every, every time I release something new, it's kind of like a step up, you know? Yeah. And this is, uh, (laughs) I love this point. And I think it's something that, uh, we, we, you and I might be glancing over, but like you, you have to do it first, like to be able to graduate and to, to grow and learn from this stuff is you, you have to start somewhere and do it. And this is where a lot of coaches struggle with even doing that first step of maybe it's for sure. that first Instagram post or just posting that first product. Cause if you're not doing that first thing, it's not like you just graduate from where you are to master you like where you are to a coach's coach now, like th- there's steps to the game. And if you're not starting somewhere, it, oh, yeah, it, it's rough. I've had, I've had so many, I mean, just even friends and even some clients that are starting to get into you know, coaching and stuff now. And they're just like, dude, like, I don't, I don't know like what to put out. Like, I don't feel like I know enough. I'm like, dude, just put out something that you do know, you know, if you know how to stretch your hamstrings and that's all, you know, teach people how to stretch their hamstrings, you know? And like, even if it's not the most accurate information, like, you know, there's kind of that, it sucks because like on one hand, obviously you don't want to misinform people, but I think there are bits and pieces of incorrect information that can be correct for certain people. If that makes sense. Like kind of going back to like Newton versus Einstein, Newton wasn't necessarily wrong. A lot of those things still apply in the context that we, you know, that we need to use them in, in in physics, but it's limited ultimately, you know? And so you have to find things that you can help people with, even if, even if it's just a short term, um, you know, immediate objective, focus on that sell that if that's what you want to do and then gr- and then move from there you know yeah and it's almost like levels to the game of the knowledge like you said like that even if it's not the most correct thing in the moment that you're putting out if it's probably going to help somebody somewhere do something like take that first step i i, I relate a little bit to like a, a 531 program like when you're in high school or like a bigger faster stronger program when you're in high school like that something is going to be better than whatever the hell you and your buddies come up with uh, doesn't mean it's going to be completely right. Doesn't mean it's going to be the best product out there, but it, it's helping you somewhat and it's helping somebody somewhere go a little bit farther forward and just levels to the game. Exactly. And then it, it just sets you down that journey, you know, to begin with. Yeah. And it's how, it's how, how you level up. And I, I, I just love that you're mentioning that to a lot of your, your friends and other coaches, because it's something that like a lot of coaches, they're, they're very scared to, to put out that first thing. I just love reemphasizing that. Like if you, if you want to go somewhere, you have to start somewhere. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. The, the, the last question before we get into a rapid fire round, and this is one I love asking the guest is what has kind of been your biggest eye opener recently? Maybe it's the last like week, maybe it was today, maybe it's the last like year, but biggest eye opener in your training business, something like that, that you're like, Oh shit. Like I wish I would have known this before. I think kind of going back to sort of what I talked about uh, at the beginning was that, you know, when I got into this, I, I really had this idea that 
I was going to be able to instantly help people with all the stuff that I knew, you know, like when you get into this, you're kind of overzealous because like you have all this information and you have all this knowledge that, you know, people either have never heard of, or they, or they've never tried. And you know, that a lot of these things are going to be, you know, potential solutions to problems that they have. Um, and you don't really account for the fact that a lot of people aren't willing, <clears throat> they're not willing to accept a lot of those things, or they're not willing to, you know, sometimes do any of them. Um, and so again, that kind of, that goes back to one, I guess, really focusing on the clients that you do want, that you do want to attract. Um, that's just, it's going to make your life a lot easier because you're going to find people that are more willing to do those things that are more kind of tuned in to, uh, your medicine, I guess you could say that you're offering people. Um, and then on the flip side of that though, you also have to realize that even with those people, even with those people that are really dedicated and that do care, you can't just slam them with everything at once. You know, like even for me, even in the past three to four years that I've been learning all of these things, it was, there was never a moment where I just started doing all of these things at once. And it fixed me for lack of a better word, you know, like it, it's a very gradual and subtle process of, okay, like this is where I'm, I'm starting at. And maybe this is way better than what I was doing before, but there's always, you know, gradual room for improvement. Um, and you have to realize that convincing people of certain things isn't, an overnight process. You know, you have to continually kind of put the information out there. You have to continually set a good example by first doing it and embodying it yourself and showing people the results, you know, that you've gotten and, and, and kind of just continuing to, I don't want to say like shove it down their throat, but like just continue to talk about it. You know, like the more you put that information out there, um, the more people are going to finally kind of start to you know, open it, open up to whatever it is that you're saying, you know, like I have a lot of clients right now that like, I basically tell all of them, like, you need to take B vitamins, you need to take magnesium and you need to take uh, uh, zinc. And so it's funny. Cause like, I would say a good majority of them, will, like they'll buy like maybe the B vitamins or the magnesium and, and that's it. And then like two months I'd be like, I think I'm going to buy the zinc now. I'm like, bro, just buy all of it at once, you know, but it's hard like to, to get people to really buy into doing everything that they need to do. It's like this little gradual step-by-step -step process that you kind of have to sometimes work people into, you know, like you will have the occasional client that might be willing just to do everything that you say up front. But for most people, it's going to be, you know, kind of this step-by-step -step process of making these little, you know, tiny step-by-step -step improvements. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, I kind of related to, you almost have to make it seem like they, they made that discovery on their own. Cause until they exactly. get to the point to where they, they felt like they came up with it, it it's going to be tough to get them to actually believe in it and go through with it. Right. They're like, Oh yeah, I think I should start doing that. I'm like, I've been telling you that bro. <laughs> yeah. The, and the, uh, I just, uh, we won't dive too far deep into it, but I just want to mention like, uh, what coach is talking about with the zinc and magnesium. Like if you, if you haven't got onto that bandwagon or that train or done some research on it, like zinc and magnesium, if, especially if you're an athlete will completely change a lot of what That's you do. The killer combo right there, man. Like in, in a lot of ways for sure. All right. We can transition into the rapid fire round here. And these are just the questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, some of my favorite questions that I have, uh, and we'll roll through. The first cool. one is what are, what are some of your favorite books um, that you recommend to anybody? I would say, you know, I get, I get the book question a lot from a lot of people, you know, that are kind of just starting to delve into uh, strength and conditioning outside of a lot of the stuff that they've read in school. Um, I think science and practice of sports training is a really good one to start with um, just kind of for some of the more practical information in terms of, you know, strength training and, and sports training. Um, I think super training is a really good one. Um, again, anti-fragile, uh, pretty much all of, uh, Talib's books are, are going to be pretty good just in terms of kind of, you know, giving it's, it's less about specifics and more just kind of broad philosophies, uh, and, and kind of underlying principles that kind of underpin a lot of different fields and, um, you know, subjects of, of interest for a lot of people. Um, I would say, you know, those would really probably be my top three. Um, maybe even, I think it's called, uh, speed strength. Uh, or no, hold on. I actually have it right here. I'm trying to read it. <laughs> Special strength training manual for coaches. 
That one's by uh, Verkashansky. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> I never have. Uh, but that one's good. That's also the same dude that wrote Super Training. Um, and that, that's kind of just more along the lines of like practical kind of training and science information. So those would probably be my top, I guess you could say three or four. Hell yeah. The, the, the anti-fragile one is one I've, I've continually recommended to everybody inside the field or outside the field just to, I think it's, it's big just to get that, that thought process, you know, like that, that's the starting step to discover in any, I think you can use that book for any field uh, that you want oh, to go yeah. into. If you can develop that thought process and the questioning that he lays down in that book, you can be successful in any field. Yeah, for sure. He, he's a badass too, man. I don't know if you follow his Twitter, but he's, he's funny too. <laughs> yeah. So some of the, man, some of the stuff, his arguments, and I'm like, man, this guy, he, he is very comfortable with who he is. Oh yeah. 100%. <laughs> All right. We can transition to the next question. And this is who I guess you think we should have on this podcast. Somebody that can continue to grow the, the branch of this podcast and the, the, the information that we're trying to spread. Um, I would say Brett Adams. I'm not sure if you know who he is. So he's actually, he's my business partner. So he kind of runs the speed net, not speed part, but mainly the, uh, the agility and kind of like perception and action training side of things. Uh, he does a lot of general movement training. And then he also does like a lot of sports specific stuff, especially with football players, but he is, an absolute genius when it comes to, uh, perception and action. He's, he's big on the variability thing too. Um, I'm sure you follow, uh, BBA building better athletes. Yep. Yeah. We had him on. Yeah. So he, he does a lot of stuff like that. Um, I mean, he's got, he doesn't put out a lot of content right now. So like, if you look at his Instagram, you're not gonna, you're not gonna see a whole lot, but he, I mean, he's a brain man. Like he, he goes super, super deep into, I mean, he's got like manuals of, of things that he's, uh, you know, like curriculums that he's written himself. I mean, he's my age. He's like, I think 23 or 24. Uh, he's got just volumes of like these things that he's compiled. And like, you, you definitely have to talk to him. I can send you his, uh, his contact info because he's, he's just a brain man. He's, He's like the, uh, the agility version of me. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. That's a, that's a topic I dive deep into. Like I mentioned, like Sean Mishka, who's he, um, he started the whole like emergence thing, which is the BBA and like what everybody's into with the perception and action type stuff. Um, but he was the first person to kind of open my eyes to a lot of that stuff post-college. And I was like, holy shit, like this is stuff that we need to be implementing. So if, if he's in that rabbit hole, I'm ready to dive in with him. Oh yeah. He goes deep down that rabbit hole. Uh, next question. What's kind of next for you? We talked about this a little bit pre podcast, but what's kind of that next big step? Maybe it's within a year or five years for grant. So the next big step for me, I mean, ultimately I would like to open my own facility. So, I mean, there's, I don't want to say I could do it now. I mean, I, there, there's some opportunities or some options that, uh, yeah, I think I would rather kind of go down and explore first before really deciding to go down the, you know, opening my own gym route. Um, but that, you know, within the next anywhere from three to five years, I really would like to have my own place open, um, and then really just continue to expand the online presence. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's ultimately where I'm going to be able to help the most people, uh, is just online, you know, because I mean, obviously with social media, we have pretty much unlimited access to, you know, people and just the information that you can put out and the amount of individuals that you can help and the lives that you can just change in general. And so, you know, at some point I would, you know, maybe once the, the gym is kind of going the way, the way I want it to go, maybe possibly, uh, going down more of kind of like the health and longevity road possibly. Um, but that's kind of where, you know, things are headed right now. I'm not really looking too far into the future. I'm just trying to take it, you know, day by day, but that's really, you know, that's kind of the long-term goal. I love it. Next, uh, next question. And this is one of my favorites of the podcast, but when all this coaching is done, when the, when the, the, whatever path you decide to go down is done, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say you accomplished throughout your career? Oh man, that's a good one. I just ultimately, man, I would like to be recognized, <clears throat> recognized as somebody that just, you know, really cared and helps people. You know, I think you see a lot of the stuff on, on Instagram and it's kind of easy to, uh, paint certain pictures of people, you know, like, especially if you're kind of more of a, you know, if you're very adamant about your beliefs and, and, and the things that you, um, you know, enjoy and talk about. And, and it's, 
definitely the type of person I am, but you know, underneath all of that, at the end of the day, I really just want to help people. Um, and that kind of goes back to, you know, just ultimately wanting to get out of the strength and performance side and just really, you know, go down the health route. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities there just to, you know, help people that are in pain. Um, I mean, even just from some of the very simple, uh, things that we've done and implemented just even with our athletes, I mean, it's, it's changed their lives and it's changed their health and just the way that they feel. And so, you know, ultimately I would like to, to leave, you know, a legacy of just, you know, helping people and, and getting them out of pain just so that they can live, you know, better, healthier lives in general, man. Hell yeah. I love that. And then the last question of the podcast, um, it's kind of your billboard message for somebody that that's in that valley or crossroads in their life. Maybe they're, maybe it's the dropping out portion, but they're more stressed about it than you were. But this that next big decision that they want to make, they're, they're stuck in this little bit of valley, this crossroads in their life. What's kind of your billboard message for that person to keep going? I would really just say to follow your, I mean, you know, it's, it's so cliche, but just to follow your gut instinct, you know, whatever you feel like you really need to do, nine out of 10 times, that's, that's what you need to do. You know, um, I feel like people spend too much time trying to think and rationalize about things. Um, there's a lot of issues that were on my mind that, and that I was thinking about, you know, possibly running into at some point. And at the end of the day, you, you can't sit there and worry about them too long. You kind of just have to figure out things as you go. Um, and, and usually you will. You know, if you're really dedicated to the process, uh, you really take that first step and you continue to take steps after that, um, you're not going to have an issue figuring it out. You know, you're going to find a way. Um, I think as you continue to share what you love uh, with people that are receptive to it, I think you're going to find opportunities and you're going to find people that are also willing to help you out and to make it a whole lot easier on you. Boom. Action, action makes a lot of things clear in your life. Absolutely. Well, coach, this is an awesome podcast. I'm pumped about this one. Thanks for being on. Yeah, this is great, man. I, I really appreciate you having me on here. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.